Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. I'm Michelle Botcher, an associate professor at Clemson University, and I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm very pleased to have Dr. L.J. Shelton, assistant professor at the University of Arkansas, as our guest. L.J., thank you so much for joining the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Michelle. This is uh, definitely a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but I'm glad you gave the opportunity to branch out and try something new. Awesome. This will be fun. So LJ, before we get into your work and career, can you tell everyone who's listening just a little bit about who you are outside of work? So hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to, whatever you'd like to share. Yes. Well, first, thank you for this question. I love it so much. Um, And, you know, I'm not really a big TV or movie person, um, although I do watch sports. Uh, fall is a good sports season, some bake-off, maybe a little HGTV. <laughs> but since I'm looking at a screen all day, I'm much more likely to do something else for fun. So I love anything to do with sports or movement. So um, I run, I do yoga, lift weights, some dance. Um, I was... Um, actually in my first in-person race last weekend since COVID had started. It was a small local race, so I felt comfortable. And I'm usually back of the packer, so I like to call myself the party caboose, so I have fun. I'm not competitive or good at it. I just enjoy it. Uh, I'm taking pickleball lessons this semester. It is so fun. I totally buy into the hype. Uh, If you haven't played, you might check it out. Um, Yeah, so anything involving sports or movement, um, I'm a big tea drinker, so you probably see me sipping from my mug here. So um, I uh, have, you know, I'm serious. Like I have the kettle with the different temperature settings, and I love to try new tea blends. Um, I read a lot, leisure read. So um, of an evening, I don't read work things. I only read sort of light, fun things. So I read a lot of um, YA novels, why, um, especially with characters that have minoritized identities, like you know, racially, ethnically, or gender, sexual orientation. So Cemetery Boys is one I read recently that was so good. And it's a good fall Halloween read. I love cozy mysteries. So gentle. I don't do violence. I'm a gentle peach. So cozy mysteries um, are really nice. So shout out to our independent local bookstore that keeps me stocked up. A former student actually opened it during the pandemic. So yeah, it's just about a mile away. So it's dangerous because I can just walk or bike and it's dog friendly. So (laughs) yeah. And then my dog um, and I took up all kinds of pandemic hobbies. So those are the main ones that are consistent, but I've tried ukulele, watercoloring, um, punch needling, which is like a, I guess you'd call it a fiber art. Um, Not really. (laughs) I'm a little, um, like type B with my creative outlet. So it's not a precise art for me. Um, and I'm a master nap taker. Oh, that's awesome. Is that on your CV? It, it's front and center. Yeah. Excellent. Headliner for Excellent. sure. Very good. <laughs> well, thanks so much for that. It, it does help for us to get to know each other as human beings, not just as the work that we do. Um, but shifting kind of to our topic today, Tell us a little bit about your journey into your current role. You know, how did higher education find you and keep you? And what's your story there? Yeah, so I'm a first-generation college student uh, from Kansas City, Missouri. And we did not have a fancy high school with all of this college prep information available. I had never traveled anywhere. I didn't get to uh, leave home or visit campuses. And so... Um, you know, I, I kind of the route a lot of folks took was staying close to home. Um, you know, there was sort of messaging that if you go to college, local community college, which there's an excellent community college system up there. Um, I just had dreams of traveling and going to new places. Um, I'd never been anywhere yet. My first time on an airplane was actually winter break coming home from college. So I was four states away and another time zone away. And I loved it. But looking back, I, it's a little cringe because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I just watched a lot of X-Files and thought Scully was cool. Now I realize it's probably a crush. And I thought, yes, I want to be in the FBI. Just horrible match for me. But 
I went to the bookstore at the time, you know, we didn't have the fancy like virtual tours online or smartphones. So they had the big um, college books and you could look through by major. And I thought I needed to be a forensic chemistry major uh, to become Scully. And so that narrowed it down. And I just knew I wanted to go kind of far away. Um, <laughs> those are really my criteria. And so I found in this college book, Ohio University, it said, oh, it's a pretty campus. The dining facilities are nice. Um, you know, people are friendly. It's got your major. I had no clue what I was doing. I, I had never been, you know, out, out of Kansas City. And so um, I applied along with a couple other places. And they sent me a tour on VHS tape wow. and a, a Bobcat sticker. <laughs> And so I thought, that is so nice. Of course, now I know the recruitment game, but, you know, they were the only folks that sent something like that in snail mail. And so I just said, yeah, sign me up. So I'd never been sight unseen, moved in, um, had a wonderful experience. So, um, you know, I was very fortunate in that way because it's sort of a not, probably not what not to do um, in your college selection process. But um, I loved it. I got involved immediately in things like hall council. Um, it really um, sparked my passion for, you know, social justice things. Um, I became an RA and that is really what got me into the student affairs world. Um, you know, I had other involvement things on campus I did, which I really loved. Um, and then I also had my first experience abroad, which was really different, you know, being first-gen student who had never traveled. And um, I, even though I took French, I went to Germany because there was a scholarship. <laughs> and so um, that definitely got the travel bug going for me. Um, it was amazing. And I even got to teach uh, while I was there. So I got to teach the RA course a few times and we were on the quarter system. And so I got to work with the same group of undergraduate students my senior year. And it was a service learning course. So I co-taught the first semester and we just talked about service learning generally. Then the next two or quarters, rather, um, I got to teach the group on my own and we developed our own project second quarter and third quarter they executed. It did kind of a mm -hmm. reflective practice. So um, that really also got me interested in classroom teaching. And then over breaks, I was a substitute teacher uh, at home. So <laughs> amongst other, many other side hustles. So I love student affairs and I also love classroom teaching, especially when it was kind of student affairs focused. Um, so with that, you know, I um, graduated, I sold everything I owned and moved abroad. Uh, I thought I was going to do my own kind of uh, service work abroad for a while, focused on some teaching. Um, and I came back a little bit sooner than anticipated. And I knew I wanted to start a master's program in student affairs. Um, that was really a uh, clarifying time for me. And I was open as to where I went, but I just felt like my time at OU in Athens wasn't quite done. Like I felt like there was more for me to accomplish there. And I loved our master's program. My graduate hall director when I was a senior RA was in the program. And so I was like, oh, these are the cool kids. I want to be in this program. So um, I, I didn't uh, have my own permanent address there for a while. I just sort of couch surfed around Athens and had little odd jobs, ended up working in the campus mailroom uh, because I wasn't able to start that CSP cohort um, until the following year. They didn't allow mid-year admits. Mm -hmm. So it made for uh, an eventful journey in the meantime, but um, I'm very grateful because things came together when they needed to. And I loved my cohort and having the kind of traditional experience of a res life GA and, you know, starting with my cohort group. And um, in the meantime, I also ended up taking some women's studies courses and got a women's studies certificate. So um, it also came together that they needed a full-time hall director uh, mid-year, sort of an emergency. So then I got to move in there and uh, things came together. So OU and Athens was definitely home for about seven years. Um, and I even got to go abroad during my master's program um, to Botswana. Uh, to do some HIV AIDS education. And um, I wanted some new experiences after that. So um, I cast a wide net in the job search. And so I took a full-time housing position in Flagstaff, Arizona, Northern Arizona University. So um, 
even though I'd been in the cold all my life, I it somehow ended up at 7,000 feet in the mountains uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, learned a lot there. I think there is just no character builder and career builder quite like working in housing full time. So um, it was a beautiful place to live and play and met some some amazing people who are still in my life today. I was ready to get back into the classroom. I had done a lot of professional development there, and I was really eager to dig deeper, to engage in some research, get back to some teaching. So again, cast a wide net. I love to adventure and um, was extremely fortunate to be accepted into um, the Michigan State University Hale program, Higher Adult and Lifelong Education. And I had a five-year fellowship there, which allowed me to explore a lot. I had an amazing experience in that program. Um, I got to study abroad five summers in a row, which is just wild. I look back, I'm like, how was that my life? I met incredible people. Um, I actually got to train to lead study abroad two summers in a row. Um, I got to teach a, a fair amount. Um, I taught an undergrad teacher education policy course, which was sort of hilarious because that's not really my uh, wheelhouse, but it was great. We were right down the street from the Capitol. So I was like, all right, let's, let's hop on the bus and go to the Capitol and like do some hands-on policy things with education. Um, I And one of my GA positions was actually course coordinating an undergraduate leadership course. And so I got to train the instructors for that course as well as teach it myself face-to-face -face and online. Loved it. Um, I got to co-teach with some of our Hale faculty a couple of times, um, a course around teaching and learning that was online. Uh, and then I got to co-teach student development theory with Chris Wren in person. So all of those experiences definitely prepared me for the job market and uh, for what eventually led to me being a clinical faculty member right out of my program. So uh, when we talk about faculty workload, I came in here with a 443 workload, eventually took on program coordination or so in. So I really got to emphasize that teaching piece. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, the problem, it's a good problem to have is I love all of the things we do, the teaching, research and service. So I wanted to do all of it. And so I was able to apply for a tenure track role. So even though this is my ninth year at Arkansas, it's my fifth year on the tenure track. So I was four years on clinical first. So this allowed me to bring research into my formal workload as it just uh, wasn't possible to give it the attention it needed with the clinical workload. So, um, and plus, you know, I've got, they opted us into two years of a COVID timeline. So, um, you know, I'm able to to take some time and, and focus on some research. Um, this is the longest I've been in one place in my adult life because of that exciting student affairs journey. So, um, and it's just grand because I don't own a snow shovel. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I've had lots of side hustles, Michelle. So, you know, I always say those are character builders too. So, you know, to, to pay my way through college, I've done everything from Old Navy to Target to Honey Baked Ham, which is funny because I'm a vegetarian. I've served at a barbecue restaurant. Um, I've been a waitress. And my favorite is I've, I've been a mascot, sometimes for pay, sometimes not. I can't reveal all of the mascots okay. I've been. Some are, some are higher ed institutions, but others have been Snoopy at an amusement park. So if y'all need a mascot for anything, hit me up. I got you. That is awesome. <laughs> so I have to ask you, so I worked at OU for yes. three years and I was in Brown Pickering for those three years. Oh. Which halls were you in? Yes, um, I was in Crawford. So okay. back on the set, yeah, for my senior year as a senior art. The rest of the time, I had a bit of a unique experience. I was in the Convo, the Convocation Center, the big oh, basketball awesome. arena. Yeah. <laughs> Such a strange, I, because I didn't know what I was doing when I applied to college. I was super late in the housing game, and I showed up, and they put me in the Convo. So that's where I lived in the mod with four people my first year, and that just sort of led to me being an RA there for the remainder until senior year. <laughs> well, I always think wherever you end up starting, that's what always feels like this is where I lived in college, whether you're there a year or four yeah. years or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Cool. Aww. And yeah. way to be ahead of the, the uh, curve on the teaching online experience. That was <laughs> oh, your gosh. Passion, huh? Yes. I was so thankful for that experience. 
experience. Dr. Ann Austin allowed me to hop in on that and Dr. John Dirks and Bill Arnold. Um, they had a grant that allowed them to develop kind of a unique course shell for this teaching and learning. So it was very meta too, because we were, you know, mm -hmm. teaching online and talking about teaching online and reflecting. So I am forever grateful for all of my experiences there and the faculty support and the cohort I had. They were amazing. All the, all the cohorts. So, yeah. So cool. Well, so one of the things that we always talk about is how small our area is. And in fact, I just <laughs> said it in class this week, you know, as you start your job search, let us know where you're looking. Cause if I don't know somebody there, Tony or Rachel does. And if they don't, one of us knows somebody who knows somebody who have been your people along the way, you know, who have been um, just, you know, a few or even yeah. one sort of key, this person helped me see myself in this opportunity, or they were really instrumental in me understanding myself and how I want to do the work. Who, who are some of those people for you? Yes. So I love this. Um, I think that's the beauty of our field. I'm always like, it's like Kevin, six degrees of, you know, Kevin Bacon separation, but student affairs. Um, but also if you're familiar with strings quest, I'm an includer. And so I never want to leave anyone out, <laughs> but so I will say, um, there've been so many people and I, I want to give a brief shout out to people. I may never even know that have been integral in my journey. So people who have probably been on selection committees or opportunities for admissions or scholarships. And so um, I may never know their name or who they are, but they forever changed my life. So um, people who have advocated behind closed doors. Um, so my very first call director was Molly Kinney. Uh, I don't know if you worked with Molly. We, yeah. we overlapped by a year, I think. Okay. So yeah, I know yeah. Molly. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. And so she works in Res Life still to this day. She's in Colorado now. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned, you know, I wanted to be in the FBI and I started forensic chemistry. And then I just realized that was a complete mismatch, totally um, not the core of my being. And so she was there for me when I was discovering student leadership and student affairs and switched my major to sociology the first day I had a social class. Uh, and she was the one that was like, hey, this is a, you know, a field. You could study this and do this all the time. I don't know what I thought she did as a hall director, but kind of like a lot of folks, she was the one that was like, yeah, this is a thing. Um, along with, you know, Dr. Annie Russell, who I mentioned was my grad hall director. And so they were there kind of at the beginning. Um, and I ended up being an RA for Molly for the remainder of my time. We moved to South Green together from the combo. Awesome. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm forever, uh, grateful. And I, I got to connect with her in person at NASPA a few years ago, which was really fun. So, um, and then just all of my faculty members at OU and Michigan state, who took the time to help me explore personally and professionally my cohort. So shout out to the master's cohort and the doc cohort. Um, you know, we worked hard, but we had a lot of fun and we were there through a lot of growth and challenge and, you know, kept it real with each other. And, many of these folks are my chosen family now. So, um, you know, these relationships I really, really cherish. So um, also a brief shout out to my EFLA cohort two, NASPA Emerging Faculty Leader Academy and my current ACPA Emerging Scholars cohort. Um, these people are just um, amazing and have been a part of some of my favorite um, learning experiences um, and connections as a faculty member. That's great. I love that. Um... So I, I feel like I had a follow-up question. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Yes. If you're so inclined as an includer, if you want to send me a list of everyone, I'll be happy to post it with the episode. So, um, but no pressure to do that. You might have other demands on your time given work and stuff like that. So. I love, when I watch award ceremonies, it makes me like sweat when they pull out the little list and name names. I'm like, I want to name people, but I don't want to leave anyone out. So, <laughs> so you're going to get played off the stage basically is what's going to Absolutely. Happen. Yeah. They will, the violin will start, the lights will dim, Very game good. over. <laughs> All right. I know what to expect for that year. So yeah. I'll, I'll be ready. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a little bit about your current role and kind of how you have 
developed and come to understand yourself as an educator and a, a faculty member, what let's just start with your teaching philosophy. So who are you in the classroom and, and what do you hope to achieve with your students? Sure. I, I hope who I am in the classroom is a reflection of who I am outside of the classroom mm -hmm. as well. So I try to be authentic, you know, bring myself. Um, and all of my social identities and just um, kind of how I navigate the world. So I tend to be a very playful person, um, pretty energetic. I'm super enthusiastic. I'm a really good hype man. Um, I, you know, I love learning and I try, I think I'm pretty creative. I'm not afraid to try new things. Um, so even though, you know, learning is a serious business and a lot of the topics and things we talk about and do are very serious um, and have very real implications, I think the the process over the product is something I really try to focus on um, and reflective. And I think, you know, um, centering social identity, I mentioned, you know, I often, you know, I'm transparent with them. Day one, I have a, an about me slide and activities I ask them to do to share. I also do just so we can build community and then think about like, well, how does that lens affect how I'm reading this article or how I'm engaging in this practice or serving these students? And so, um, I think it's pretty common probably for HESA faculty to think of ourselves as sort of a facilitator and to develop co-constructed knowledge. Um, so I, I certainly engage in that. Um, but I try to be transparent with students about that, which is something I learned as a clinical faculty member. And so I actually show them a word cloud of my teaching philosophy on the first day just to help them understand. Because um, for a lot of folks, it's a different kind of classroom flow than they may have been used to an undergraduate, or maybe they've even been out of the classroom for quite some time. And so a lot of them were used to that sage on the stage model um, versus a learning partner. And so, you know, I try to help them understand that and what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I am the one setting the syllabus. And so I try to really check again, my identities and who I'm including and what I'm validating as legitimate knowledge. And so I try to have authors from, you know, a variety of social identity backgrounds and also build in opportunities with assignments and class activities to show those different ways of knowing and learning. So hopefully it's creative and diversity of thought and experiences valued and trying to legitimize their lived experiences as well. Um, and I always tell them to take creative intellectual risks. And so that's kind of the focus on the process over the product piece, which again, can be difficult for them because they're so used to, you know, kind of that dualistic, like you tell me exactly what to do. I want to check the boxes. I want to get the A. <laughs> and so, um, and I, I really just want to cultivate a sense of curiosity and being lifelong learners. And we do that together. Um, I learn from them all of the time. So hopefully it's a thoughtful, inclusive classroom, um, and, you know, some of my creative approaches don't always work. And again, I try to take time to say, here's why we're trying this. A lot of it's based on student feedback. So I'll, I'll just ask them in class. Um, or a couple of weeks ago, I gave them a note card and kind of an exit ticket was, you know, write down one thing that's going really well in the class you really like, and one thing you would change. Um, and so I'm always trying to adjust as we go, because at the end of the semester evals, you know, doesn't really benefit this group. So um, formative assessments. Um, one of the things I've done recently in trying to help spark their individual interests and speak to where they're at in their careers, because we have folks who work full-time on campus who take the program, some have been out a couple years, you know, some freshman undergrad, is choose your own learning adventure. And so I think this is kind of an example. They started calling it C-Yola, C-Y-O-L-A. <laughs> it's kind of like YOLO. I don't think people say YOLO anymore, but um, it allows them to select from a few assignment options in these different kind of bubbles. And so for one person, they may just be starting out and they want to do kind of that informational interview with the current practitioner in a functional area of interest. Um, for another person, you know, they may want to read Dr. Ardwin's book on like career paths. Um, so there are different things. Someone else might say, well, I'm interested in research. They could do an issue paper. So uh, ways to kind of let them pick what's meaningful to them and, and pull out things in the classroom materials in that way. So um, those are just some of my philosophies. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, I try to do 
things that keep folks moving, which of course was a challenge. Um, I tried to be creative in the online environment during COVID, but you know, anything that gets us up and moving around to um, when it's accessible and available. So um, it's not just um, large group discussion all the time. There are a lot of ways for folks to demonstrate knowing and participation. Well, and I love that uh, choose your own learning objective or adventure, I'm sorry, Um, because it probably keeps you engaged as you're grading too, because it's not you know, 25 of the same paper <laughs> on the same topic. So yes, cool. it is. That's yes. Cause especially when I was clinical, honestly, it was quite challenging to have four courses a semester where at least three of the four is kind of the same group of students. You only have so many like tricks in your bag. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, goodness, if I'm sort of, you know, um, needing to take little breaks to get through the grading and the same type of assignment, then surely they're feeling the same way on their end. If they're doing four issue papers around a similar topic at the same time. So yeah, I think uh, it's mutually beneficial and I've had good feedback on that so far. (laughs) That's great. Well, let's shift to research. So what are your areas of interest? If there are projects that you're working on that you want to highlight, talk to us about that part of your work. Sure. So yeah, I love, I love the research piece and I'm actually just uh, fresh off of a writing retreat we had two days ago up on the mountain. So um, in the zone, um, you know, I really bring the student affairs background to my work. And so a lot of the audience for my research would be especially master students, maybe even doc students or grad students broadly in HESA grad prep programs who are thinking about serving students. And so um, a lot of what I look at are the experiences of students with minoritized social identities and hearing their stories directly, I'm a qualitative researcher, is an avenue to better support them. So using my platform to highlight these voices that are existing, uh, I never say like give them a voice because people already have a voice. Mm -hmm. This is just an outlet that, you know, maybe they haven't shared in. And so specifically, I've looked at things like campus climate, sense of belonging, marginality versus mattering, kind of back going back to being an includer, Um, and really how can we facilitate, um, that for specifically undocumented college students? Um, my earlier work was on Latinx undocumented college students. I've opened that up. Um, and I use that as an umbrella term too. When I first started the research, it was pre-DACA before deferred action for childhood arrival. Um, so since then, some of my initial participants, this was in 2012, have, um, received DACA, but I still use the phrase undocumented because that is such a precarious, um, temporary band-aid. And so the realities are still there impacting their situation. So um, that's been a big um, uh, a big focus of my research because I, I just think there's so much need. And sometimes I try to mindfully navigate that, you know, knowing I have outsider privileged identities with regards to those students. Um, but I think sometimes that's helpful and I may have, um, more of an avenue to speak to audiences who might be more open to hearing from me because we have shared privileged identities. So as a queer woman, I'm always like, yeah, like it's really empowering to speak up myself. Um, but also having allies, advocates, accomplices outside of the community, you know, people might be more willing to listen to them. Um, so that's kind of how I've thought about that work. So that's been a big piece. Um, excuse me. And also, um, it's kind of under all of it's under the umbrella of the ACPA NASPA competency language around social justice and inclusion, I would say. Um, so the other piece of that is looking at HESA graduate preparation program. So it makes sense for me, especially in my role as program coordinator, my passion for um, developing student affairs professionals in our programs. And so um, a part of that has been looking at things like, are, how are we developing global mindedness um, for these folks? So um, everything from how are they serving international students to how might they be considering careers abroad in student affairs? Um, uh, recently, I've been doing a project with some co-authors on the diversity course I developed for our program and sort of students learning experiences there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a sense of belonging study layered with social identity um, on HESA graduate master students. Um, that one's not out yet. I collected data during the pandemic and it's up next. Uh, and so, yeah, those are kind of the bubbles there. So 
um, you know, kind of some common threads there with regards to social justice and inclusion. Um, and another project I'm really excited about, uh, I do love SOTL projects, anything oh, yeah. teaching and learning related. Um, I'm working with some folks on understanding the experiences of program coordinators and he's a program. So <laughs> I've written a few things about faculty work, um, especially clinical faculty. Uh, and so this will sort of extend that. Um, and really the goal is kind of how can we use this information to see what folks' experiences are so they can better advocate for their time and energy and also understanding maybe the impact it might have on tenure and promotion processes and workload balance. And so um, that's in the works right now. Awesome. So how do you do all the things, you know, and <laughs> I I have the word balance in the question for the script, but I don't know if that's the right word anymore, but how do you, how do you make the pieces fit? Sure. Well, I will, I'm actually looking to add a, a new piece. I don't know if that counts as balance, but I'm actually looking to bring in some more sort of me search. Um, I am feeling that craving for queerness in my research. So um, I've been able to partner with someone on a, an existing data set, which is very generous of them. So I, I'm wanting to do that as well. So yeah, I love, as I mentioned before, all of the teaching, all of the research and all of the service. So it is difficult to balance. Um, I try to remind myself right now where I'm at in my career pre-tenure it's hard. Some things I want to do are not the things that are going to be most valued mm -hmm. in the tenure and promotion process. So mm -hmm. I haven't been very good at that, but I'm kind of in the home stretch here of that process. And so I'm hopefully, so I try to make wise decisions because sometimes the immediate shiny thing, like to, I have class today and, and I'm like, Oh, I have this idea to tinker with the lesson plan. And I'm like, Will it make a difference to students that much? Probably not. Should I go back and work on this R&R? &R? Probably. Right. <laughs> so I, I do have to kind of uh, reel myself in and say, okay, what's the immediate need in terms of tenure and promotion? Because that is sort of the eye on the prize right now. Um, but in terms of topics or saying yes or no to things, I just think what weighs heavy on my heart and mind? So undocumented student experiences, for example. Um, I just, it's just appalling how we don't see the humanity in certain populations. And um, again, I think maybe hopefully I have something to offer and contribute there that could make even a, just a tiny bit of a difference in a positive direction. So that's kind of how I decide in terms of topics and projects. Um, and I always have the philosophy of um, as much as I love my work and it can, can be all consuming, you know, there's no end point. Um, I try to also remind myself a touchstone phrase of I, I work so I can live. I don't want to live just to work. And so, um, although I'm passionate about my projects and the things I do, um, especially in the past few years, I've realized, you know, if it's nights or weekends, um, I need to, you know, create boundaries so I can do those things. I can watercolor and run and try to play the ukulele and all those things. And then, um, you know, that in itself is just, a, it's it's not just a way to recharge, to come back refreshed to work, but um, is its own thing that deserves attention. Mm -hmm. um, so. what, um, what are other activities that you're involved in, maybe outside of teaching and research? I know you talked about program coordination. Um, <laughs> what are what are some of those pieces that sort of inspire you or get you excited? Sure. So program coordination, again, I think it's uh, a lot of fun. It's a good fit for who I am um, and, you know, my experiences. Excuse me. I think it's a nice fit. You know, I kind of have the student affairs-y vibe and I, you know, really enjoy talking to prospective students and helping them on their path. Um, and then I get to serve the current students a lot and um, just pretty much here, if I, I dream it, I can do it. So everything from, um, you know, I do an out-of-state student focus group to learn about their recruitment process into grad school and how we can improve our, um, you know, procedures. And, um, you know, I think working with alumni is rewarding too. It's sort of like seeing people through, you know, their careers. So program coordination is a lot of fun. It is a heavy service lift. It's, you know, there's definitely no end 
to it. There's always some idea you can implement. So right now I was like, oh, it's been a few years. But I was like, we really need to update our comprehensive exam process. Well, that's great, but it just takes a lot of time. So we did some benchmarking and, you know, I, I developed that document. So um, things like that, I really enjoy, like um, program improvements in service of the students. Um, and outside of that, I also really love, of course, there's some um, institutional level service commitments that tend to be uh, shorter term, uh, maybe a semester. So like the search committee for our you know, senior diversity officer. I enjoy those things to, to make a campus impact. Um, but I really love service to our field, the national level. And that's where I get to meet, you know, a bunch of people and um, make connections with folks um, and build community and give back. So, um, you know, one of the things I'm doing right now is serving as ACPA Commission for Professional Preparation or CPP Chair. So um, I'm actually in the, the final months of my term and Dr. Jamie Workman will take over. She's chair elect, but I have really enjoyed working with this group of faculty. It's sort of that um, home base at the conference, you know, like these are people who inspire me, um, who I consider friends. Um, they're, you know, great to bounce ideas and it just sort of um, gives fresh energy to, I think, what we do. Um, it's mostly faculty, but we're, we're open to other folks who are just interested in graduate preparation programs. So um, that's one of my big service commitments right now um, nationally. And then, you know, I, I enjoy the other things um, that I think most folks do, you know, reviewing program proposals and journal reviewing. And um, I've tended to gravitate to things like um, ACPA and ASH, um, like dissertation of the year committee. I really like that. You get to, you know, read graduate student work and honor their good work. Um, you know, I was co-chair of the ACPA um, CPP research and awards for a couple years. So I really like things that, um, again, celebrate people's good work. So, you know, kind of, you know, the mascot, the hype man, the student <laughs> affairs, it's just a good fit. So kind of, yeah, even like I said, I bring who I am to my teaching. I bring who I am to my service. So um, I, I enjoy those opportunities. When you think back to before you became a faculty member and now, I mean, it's pretty cool that you've had both the clinical and the tenure track experiences. What are some things that have surprised you? Like, what did you imagine it would be? And then now that you're in it, both, both positive and negative, what are some things that you're like, oh, yeah. I didn't know it was going to be like that? <laughs> yeah, lots of surprises. Um, it's Halloween time. It was full of tricks and treats. So I think um, the autonomy and flexibility has frankly been magical. I love that. I like that free flowing environment. Um, you know, I felt like as a, a full time administrator, uh, there were so many meetings, you know, it could easily be just hopping to that plan for you put on your calendar. Um, so if you had, a, you know, a stroke of inspiration for a project, it would just have to wait. Whereas now there's a little more flexibility um, built in. Um, also, I would say as a faculty member, there may be less meetings um, in a large group setting. A lot of the meetings are one-on-one -on -one with students, um, you know, or maybe just one other faculty colleague. I was shocked, though, at the admin load. And again, maybe it's because I was program coordinator pretty much right away after a year or so. Um, I could spend all day on emails. Um, <laughs> and a lot of folks do request meetings. Um, so I was surprised, again, at the amount of administrative money, even just like pay paperwork to travel. You know, we're getting ready to go to ASH. And it's like, okay, this paperwork, that paperwork. Um so protecting my time has been important, again, in honor of balancing, you know, what the immediate need or interest might be with right now, what is rewarded in whatever it may be, in review, tenure and promotion process. So that's been more of a juggling act than I uh, had expected. And that's actually something I even talk with students about. You know, I mentioned earlier the importance of being transparent. I feel like students, and I didn't know as a master's student either, don't quite understand faculty workloads and, and what that means. You know, they don't know we're not on a 12-month contract or, you know, that we, you know, have to do the research piece or whatever it may be. And so um, 
you know, trying to be transparent with students about here's my capacity. You know, I want to work, work with you, partner with you on programs, you know, advise the student organization and plan the banquet, but also I have to be realistic. So that's been harder than I thought it would be in terms of boundaries and protecting time as a faculty member. Um, yeah. What else have I been surprised? I think as a student affairs professional, I felt like I had a big community built in on campus. Um, and yeah, again, some of those folks are dear friends to this day. And, um, you know, we had a really good time uh, in those roles together. Um, as a faculty member, I, I'm very fortunate and I really truly love and enjoy all my colleagues here. But I think the nature of the work is a little more isolating. And so um, I think I found sort of my people and my more um, tight kit community has not been here necessarily. Like it's been more important to find other, I'm the only pre-tenure faculty in our program, for example. And so it's been really important to find folks maybe in similar career and life stages at other programs through ACPA, NASPA, ASH. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's, um, it's a very different, you might be working towards similar goals as some people, but you're not doing it in community. Whereas as practitioners, rarely were we working on our own. There were always other people who were partnering in the work. So, mm -hmm. yep. Well, kind of along those same lines, you know, if, if someone were to say to you, look, I'm thinking about maybe following a similar path, what advice would you have for them? Sure. Well, I would say go for it. Um, I think being faculty is amazing. And I think having student affairs experience prior to that uh, lays a really nice foundation. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and I also want to say there's a place for everyone's interests and talents. So similar to what I said, hopefully you can show up as who you are and, and, and then you're better able to, you know, offer all of your gifts. And so, you know, sometimes I heard this just last week in class, a student said, oh, well, I'm interested in teaching, but I don't want to do research. Well, first I like to dig into like, well, tell me more about the not wanting to do research because sometimes there are some misconceptions there, but, but if that's truly, you know, or if they're thinking of research only in a really narrow way, like mm -hmm. journal article, right. you know, thinking, okay, well, how might you share your knowledge in different ways, you know, whether it be podcasts or blogs or mm -hmm. book, book chapters. And so um, I think um, letting folks know there are just so many types of roles and environments. So to look beyond the title, because me being clinical in an R1 can look quite different. We have colleagues who are clinical at other institution types that did have research built in. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to kind of dig into what does it actually look like in the workload breakdown? Um, because, you know, I think if you really want to focus on teaching, that's wonderful. You don't have to uh, follow some script someone else is handing you about. You have to be tenure track at an R1 if that's truly not where your heart is. So, um, yeah, I think anyone who's um, looking into it, their experiences will be an asset to the classroom space and mentoring students um, when they find their fit. So um, if, if you're in a life circumstance to cast a wide net, there will be, you know, a place um, for your gifts. Um, and similarly for choosing a doc program, I always tell folks like, what meets your needs in your life circumstances? So not everyone's going to be in a position like I was to quit a full-time job and move across the country and become a full-time student. And that's okay. So if you're, you know, place bound and you're at an institution with a program and your job will pay for the degree and the timing's right, go for it. You know, you shouldn't be paying out of pocket, hopefully ever. Um, it's okay to attend part-time, you know, just kind of, again, dig into the program specifics and see what meets your needs. Um, let's see what else. Um, you know, I would say I felt like student affairs had a pretty fun vibe and energetic, you know, people tend to be pretty enthusiastic about what they do. Um, and, you know, maybe not he's a faculty because we all may kind of have that um, experience or mindset, but academia broadly, I think sometimes folks are surprised people take themselves very seriously. And so I'm like, don't lose that joy, um, your why, you know, um, yes, some of the work you do is quite serious, but we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. So um, again, you know, setting those boundaries, maintaining those hobbies and 
and just remembering the impact, you know, we can have in, in the classroom. So sort of like dropping the pebble in the pond, you know, all of the students who learn things and then go out and help their students and the ripple effect, you know, um, is really generative. So I would say go for it. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're highlighting, sure, there's this narrative of what being a faculty member is, but that's only one snapshot of we all we all probably do it in our own way, regardless of institutional type. So there's not there's not a single way to be. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent. Um, I think the last question, which is always the most important question, what else should I be asking? What else would you like to talk <laughs> about? Did I miss anything important? Goodness, I think the only thing I didn't mention earlier you know I kept saying like oh being who I am like being true to myself and classroom space service space and and mindful and research around my social identities and and my spirit of being you know kind of playful and creative um you know I know that can be um difficult depending on folks identity so you know I think for people considering faculty work um you know being able to gauge what the environment's like so it's one thing you know the surrounding area versus campus environment versus are you going to be able, for example, for me to like be out on campus. I remember asking uh, Dr. He- Michael Hevel on my interview here. I was like, so for example, would I be able to like wear a bow tie around campus and to class, you know, which I often do wear my little bow tie. Uh, and, you know, and he gave me a very honest answer. So, you know, it's taken some time. Um, and, you know, I think, acknowledging my privileged identities as well. So I think being white here in this environment has allowed me again to, you know, um, maybe facilitate certain messaging and uh, learning opportunities to a a predominantly white audience uh, in our classrooms that um, would maybe be received quite differently um, by a faculty member of color. So I've seen that as not just an opportunity, but a responsibility. Um, and we know these things come up in teaching evaluations, and that has an impact on annual review, merit raises, tenure and promotion. So, you know, just thinking through um, who can you have on your team to help you be reflective and all that and process through, um, you know, the realities of of identities and navigating responsibilities. And so I think that's just the other thing I put on the radar, like having a community for that outside of work is so, so important. Um, I don't know how I would have made it uh, as a faculty member without some of my colleagues, again, who were in similar uh, positions at the same time to process together. Yeah, and I love how you talked about needing different people in different spaces. So it's great to have very senior faculty who might be available to you on campus, but, you know, this idea of near peer mentoring and also, I mean, for us, staying connected with practitioners, that's, it's been a minute since I was doing housing <laughs> or conduct. And if we don't keep those relationships going, we're going to become pretty outdated really quickly. So especially yeah, I, pandemic, I tell my students, <laughs> I don't know anything now. I, I did a couple yeah. of years ago, but now <laughs> yeah. it's so different. But It is, it is a different ball game. And I mean, shout out to some of my colleagues I've, um, bribed uh, some of them to do little videos. We do a little student affairs pro spotlight in my intro class. Mm-hmm. And it's just a pre-recorded like, hey, here's the work I do a day in the life. Here's my journey. So they can get, because, you know, I, the longer we go, the further removed we are from that uh, practitioner day-to-day reality. So. <laughs> Absolutely true. Well, I I just appreciate your time. Um I'm glad you like to do all the things. So you said yes when I reached out to you about this. Um, One last question before we kind of move to wrap up. What's something in your life right now that's bringing you hope? Mm. Or multiple. It doesn't have to be a single thing. Yeah, so many things. So I started, um, actually pre-pandemic, I tried to start a gratitude journal. Uh, and then I shifted during the pandemic, um, I shifted to like letting it be a little more broad, like things that just little everyday things that brought me delight or joy or charmed me. And so 
Um, I have half of a, a notebook filled with things that just give me hope. And a lot of the themes there are just sort of everyday actions by everyday people. Um, and I came, I was like flipping through the other day and I had a memory. It was about nine years ago to, to this week. Um, I was at Michigan State training for a duathlon. It was a bad idea. I was clipped into my bike pedals. Oh. Uh, uh and I just left the coffee shop from transcribing. Uh, and it was my first time on the actual like roads biking clipped in. Um, had a little accident. Um, my arm was not in socket. Uh, and um, the kindness of everyday stranger to this day. So the photo popped up for me. Um, complete, multiple complete strangers stopped, um, stayed with me till the ambulance came. And, you know, I was in grad school, so my road bike was, like, my fancy piece of equipment. And I was, like, oh, going into shock, but also it was, like, obsessed with, like, my bike, my bike. I can't leave my bike here. Yeah. And these complete strangers, like, were, like, we'll take your bike for you. We'll get in touch. Um, and to this day, I have – the photo came up. They stored my bike for me when I got home. It was all casted up and everything. They sent me a gift basket with like, get well soon, all that. And then um, I still to this day keep one of the guys gave me his business card um, and I keep it in my bike bag on my bike. It's been nine years. So just the kindness and goodness of people like the world can feel very heavy, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's easy to kind of get in a doom spiral of like, wow, there are a lot of serious, very frightening, concerning things happening. Um but the goodness of everyday people um, and the opportunity to like open up and see that and then maybe be that for people, I think gives me hope. Now, the layer to that story is Christina Yao, Dr. Yao was at the coffee shop transcribing with me right before I went to bike. And I called her and was like, meet me in the emergency room, my arm's broken. And she was like, you, bro you broke your arm transcribing at the coffee shop? <laughs> <laughs> So you can ask her. It's great. Somehow she like, like got her way back into the x-ray room. And so she went back there with the x-ray tech. We have photos thanks to Christina infiltrating the ER. Um, but that's, that's a whole other podcast. But so that was also funny because my community really took care of me. You know, she, that, and yeah. And our, and our other friends, you know, got me home, got me set up uh, and uh, were like, how about you just go to sleep? Here's some tea just relax. We'll, we'll regroup in the morning. So yes, the kindness of people we don't even know, as well as our community members that we do know. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And for you, it always comes back to the tea as well. Yeah, I know. There's always a way to weave tea into the combo. <laughs> oh, well, I, I really do. I have enjoyed getting to hear about you and get your perspective. And again, we have some overlap in experiences. And so it's great to hear your stories as far as that goes. So let me just take some time once again to thank our guest, Dr. LJ Shelton. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much. Me too. That was so fun. Thank you, Michelle. Absolutely. Today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by Saxa, and we thank them for their support. As we close, I'd like to leave you with a quote Today from Colleen Wilcox, the quote is, teaching is the greatest act of optimism. My name is Michelle Botcher, and it has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.